0: Um, If you have a Bible, uh, please turn to Philemon. Just one chapter in Philemon. (laughs) Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. And to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God when I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me i am sending him who is my very heart back to you i would have liked you to keep i would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while i am in chains for the gospel but i did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not be if he has done you any wrong or owns you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay back not to mention that you I will pay it back not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends his greetings, and so do Mark, Ar- 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 Arricus, <laughs> Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be, wi- be with your spirit. Father, thank you for Stu coming to speak to us. Thank you that even this tiny book with only a few lines is your word and it is alive. And we just pray that you would speak through Stu, bless him and bless his words and open our hearts, Lord. Amen.
1: Thank you, Leah. And uh, good morning, Saints. How are we? Well, well, um, I'll start by wishing you all a happy Mother's Day. I can see by many faces here, uh, a lot have been enjoying it already, which is great. It's always nice for the grown-ups to be uh, spoiled every once in a while, isn't it? So let's start with a bit of a rhetorical question. Um, I'll start with one to the mums, first of all. How many of you felt 100% ready to be a mum on day one? Of parenthood. I'd ask the dads in the room the same question. Gents, how many of us thought we were 100% ready for the challenge of parenting on day one? The truth is, our own parents never let on how unprepared they were, right? And to be honest, if my girls ever ask me, I'll be the same. And I'll say things like, of course I was ready. Obviously, I had it in the bag. But the truth is, whether we are parenting, whether we're starting a new job, whether it's a new sport or any activity that we choose, the day is going to come when we've got to put into practice the things we've learned. We simply have to give it a go, no matter how prepared we feel we are. We may have read all the books, Receives wisdom and experience from the wisest, been taught step-by-step instructions on what to do, but they will always become that time when we've got to start doing. Today, our Daily Bread series lands on the book of Philemon. And for our main protagonist, Philemon himself, as we've just heard read, this is a time where the rubber really hits the road. This is where he's called to live out a life that reflects that of following Jesus Christ. For those of us reading the New Testament as published in its order today, there's almost a beautiful positioning of Philemon for me at the end of Paul's writings. As if Paul himself is saying, look, you've read all the letters. I provided guidance. I provided teaching and learnings from my own experience. Now it's time for you to think for yourself yourself and how to put this into practice. It's a bit like it's exam time. I would love for us to challenge ourselves and put ourselves in this book and ask, how would I have reacted to this situation? We all love the expression, good things come in small packages. And this book for me is no exception. This is the third smallest book in the Bible, after two of John's letters, are only 430 words long. Now, in a Bible context, like in many other areas of life, size really doesn't matter. Everything written in this book is God-inspired and purposefully documented, through which God reveals his will and his character to us. But I'm going to be brutally honest with you and say when I was a younger man, I often used to look at this book, see how small it was, and think to myself, really? Really? Like, can something this short really be worth the cost of all the inclusion? Can we really learn anything from it? But the more I've read this book, however, and the more I look into it, the more I realize how important it is. If you'd asked my wife at any time during the last decade or so since we've been coming to this church, which Bible book I was most fascinated with, without any prompting, she would have cited this one. From the early age, this book has fascinated me, and God has always drawn me to it. Now, I'm not sure if that's because he knew Matt would ask me to preach on it one day, or rather, more than likely, it contains a challenge I personally often find incredibly hard to handle and put into action, and that is its focus on grace-led forgiveness and reconciliation. Reconciliation. Now having read Philemon several times, there's one thing I will say about this book, and that is for followers of Christ, although it may be a quick read, its challenge certainly does not make it an easy read. And I'm not just talking here about the difficult name pronunciations, like Philemon, Philemon. There's a reason I was very grateful for Leia reading that out a minute ago. But let's dig a little deeper and see what it's all about. So this letter is only 25 verses long. One slide's worth. A busy slide, but one slide's worth nonetheless. But when we look into it some more, there are some standard components that we would expect from any letter in Paul. So, verses 1 to 3 are our welcome. And it's believed from simply this introduction, we can deduce that Paul and Philemon knew each other very well. Not only does he call him a beloved friend... But there's no formality in introduction, nothing citing Paul's apostle job, title, his rank, or his position. This is a letter, essentially, to a good mate. When Math rings me, he doesn't say, Hi, Stu, it's Math Hopkins, pastor of Thornhill Church. When he watches his back, he might do. But he doesn't need to. And the answer is, I know exactly who it is. And here, Paul is addressing a good friend, in Philemon but also more than likely to his wife and his family as well hence the additional names mentioned. So addressing a family is quite unique in Paul's writings but you can argue here that the contents of the letter is actually applicable to them all because it talks about a kind of well, it's linked to the slave of the family. So it's probably applicable to all of them in terms of the situation that they find themselves in. Verses 4-7 to are just a passage of incredible encouragement, aren't they? Paul, showing the thankfulness he has towards his friend for living out his faith, recognizing his evangelistic heart as Philemon shares the news of amazing things God has clearly done in his life, encouraging others, bringing them to Jesus through the knowledge of all this. Philemon was clearly sharing not only his faith, but likely his possessions, meeting both spiritual and physical needs of those within the body of Christ that met within his home. Incredible fellowship, incredible exemplar, and a true warrior of Christ fighting the day-to-day, the good fight on a day-to-day basis. Philemon, sorry, Philemon must have really appreciated the opening paragraphs of this letter. And then jumping to the end, 23 to 25, are the final greetings in the letter where Paul is keen to pass on. Greetings from the wider church family, connecting us as he would to any church body member. And where this leaves us now, it's just 15 verses left to explore. So what we see through these verses unfold is a very personal letter to Philemon, with Paul appealing on behalf of his former slave, who goes by the name Onesimus. Paul clearly knows Philemon's character. character. He knows the type of guy he is, and now he is putting forward a request fully in the knowledge of the size of his ask. Now, Onesimus the slave had clearly run away. And although I'm obviously no expert on slavery... I know enough to understand that if you were a slave, running away was a massive no-no. It was essentially as bad as it got for you in terms of the expected retaliation should you ever be caught. Now, thankfully for us in this room today, our interaction with modern slavery is scarce and non-existent. But we need to think about the social context of this letter. In society's eyes, at the time of writing slavery was practiced and Philemon would have been expected to react severely towards Onesimus in this situation. Society said the slaves were not to run away and be reminded as such when caught. But in this letter, Paul is asking Philemon to go against what the world tells him to do and to act differently. How Paul and Onesimus came to know each other, we don't know. Maybe their meeting was purely divinely coincidental. Or, if we let our imaginations run for a minute, maybe Onesimus remembered Paul from seeing him, or in to Philemon, at a church meeting in their house, unless he was the first person he sought out when fleeing. Who knows? But whatever the reasons, what we do know is they met, and it appears Paul led him to Christ And from that moment on, Onesimus became of use not only to Paul, but once again to Philemon, and of course, God's wider church family. A lot of people, when they read this book, they pick on the fact that Onesimus' name is played on a little bit by Paul here, because it literally means, Onesimus literally means useful. Paul makes it clear that Onesimus is now living out his name's meaning and useful for Christ and in extending his wider kingdom. I personally take solace knowing that no matter who we are, no matter what our backstory is or may have once been, when we put our faith in Christ, live out how Christ wants us to live, we are useful to him. And of course, we are useful to the church. This runaway slave is now a valued body member. And the great news is, so am I. And through faith in Christ, so are you, you, or you can be. We must treat each other with grace in that fact. It's how the church family is supposed to be. And now we find ourselves arriving at the central point behind this short Bible book. Paul is sat there, in prison, with a converted slave by his side. What's he going to do? Well, Paul decides to send him back to Philemon, his master. But, of course, now things are different in their relationship. Onesimus was now both a runaway slave and a believer in Jesus Christ. He had fled as a rebel, and now he was returning as a brother in Christ. Paul was super keen to make sure that Philemon understood what had gone on since he last saw Onesimus, hence this letter. So this is where the rubber hits the road. This becomes the real deal for Philemon, who has learnt about Jesus Christ and how sorry, he is called to put into practice the things that he has learnt about Jesus Christ and how he is called to live. The start of this book implies Philemon has a good track record. But we often, at times, face circumstances we do not expect to have to face. Onesimus has to go back and meet with Philemon, as does, of course, Philemon has to come face to face with the circumstances with Onesimus. Nobody says life is easy. Especially when you're following Christ. And certainly, nobody I've met enjoys confrontation. But as hard as it is at times, you've just got to confront things head on. It would have been the easiest thing in the world for Paul to have sent our new convert, Onesimus, to a completely different part of Europe. It's a big place. Onesimus, your old master is over there, so you can go and preach Over here instead, never the two would meet again. Onesimus could have likely done some real good on the front line with his former master, completely oblivious to everything that was going on. The thing is, Paul says no to that approach. Paul says, hey Philemon, I'm sending Onesimus back to you as he is yours and you have to make a decision on what to do next. You must do this through your own willing, not through being forced. That's how this grace thing works. Has to be through our own willing. But rather, you know, I am asking you to think about how you need to act here. Verse 14 is essentially giving Philemon the freedom to do what was right in love before the Lord. In many ways this is classic Paul making us think about how we are to live not a direct command that as an apostle he knows will be simply followed but teaching understanding on how Christ wants us to live. Thus we can think for ourselves asking ourselves what would would Jesus do in this situation? Helping us as we move forward each and every day with a new challenge when Paul isn't there to write us a new letter of guidance. So coming to verse 16, there's the gentle build-up of Paul's case for Onesimus, and it gains momentum, and this line must have hit poor Philemon like a sledgehammer. You can almost picture Paul with his arm around Onesimus saying, look, this new mate of mine, he's more than a slave now, especially to me given all the things that he's been doing. He's our brother in Christ. Look at him. Like, what a guy. And now, with his metaphorical arm around Philemon, he says, look, you know, with all that in mind, mate, if me and you are partners in Christ, then I'm asking you to welcome him as you would welcome me. Not harshly, like society wants you to, but with love, as if you're greeting me yourself. Oh, and by the way, if Onesimus has wronged you, if he stole from you on his way out, then charge it to me. I'm standing by this new brother of ours, and I'm going to take the punishment if necessary. And don't forget, it was me who first told you about Christ's love, and therefore, I've got a bit of credit on my account with you, Philemon, to pay this bill. You know, and we're bonded in that because without me, you, know, you would not have heard the gospel message. And that is worth your very salvation. I love the subtext also in verse 22. Oh, and another thing, you know, when I get out, it'd be great to come and visit you. You know, to me saying, I can see firsthand how you handle this situation. <laughs> Don't go thinking you can pull the wool over my eyes. You know, this whole book is building up and up towards showing not only the bonds that Paul has with Onesimus and how that has grown, but also the amazing connection Paul has with Philemon. This crescendos to the point, you finish reading this verse and all these verses, and you can practically you know, picture Paul with both arms out around these guys. And he stands there with his arms out wide, And as he's doing that, of course, he's portraying the perfect approach provided to us for ultimate reconciliation. The reconciliation of us to God through the work of Jesus Christ, showing firsthand the reconciling love of what Christ has done on that cross. Paul is putting himself in the middle of these two people in a Christ-like fashion saying if Onesimus has sinned against you Philemon then put it on my account and what a reminder that gives us of Christ. Jesus standing in front of the Father looking at all of us in this room and saying Father if any one of them has wronged you in any way put that on my account. I'll take the wrong." so they can have a pathway through me to reconciliation and relationship with you. That's the same path and power that we can call upon to reconcile any lost situation we find ourselves in today. No matter how hard it is, and boy, I promise you, I get how hard it is sometimes. But we have to ask ourselves, who is Jesus calling us to reconcile with? Who is he calling us to forgive and welcome back as a brother or sister in Christ? Who is the Onesimus in our lives and in our current story? Mercifully, it will not be a runaway slave for us. But it could be a family member. It could be our mum. Maybe a work colleague, a member of the church we used to be part of. A member of this church, perhaps. And I get it. You know, you're looking at me like, this is starting to cut deep. And I, and I know that it is. And I said near the start, a small book asks some really big questions of how we live our lives. The great news here is this isn't something we are asked to do on our own strength. But God's Spirit craves to work within us, empower us, sanctify our hearts so we have the strength and the will to rise up against what society and the evil inside us says to do and treat those around us with love and respect in a christ-like manner you know i am acutely aware that standing here saying this is the easy part being the person to take the initiative is incredibly challenging Things rarely work out the first time, and it is energy zapping. If that's how you feel today, then my prayer is true that you will be renewed with the Spirit's power to seek reconciliation again. I understand it was Philip Yancey who said that Christian faith is basically about love, about being loved, and reconciliation. Like It's fundamental to the Christian faith. To reconcile something means essentially there is a change in a relationship. Enemies become friends. Or in a society that calls for retaliation of force, we retaliate with love. Thankfully we have the perfect example where God took the initiative with us. He sent Jesus to pay the penalty that we all deserved. And our reconciliation with God is complete by us responding to the forgiveness offered through Jesus Christ. two Corinthians five eighteen. It says all this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Whoever God has put on our hearts, we need to bring that relationship before the Lord, asking the Spirit to soften our hearts, to restore us, to pray for that relationship transformation. Paul asks Philemon to welcome Onesimus as he would welcome Paul himself. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 asks us to make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. That's a huge ask. And we need the bountiful power and help of the Spirit of God to do this. You know, when I was studying this chapter, I used all the resources that Matt's been recently pointing us to. And and one of those I was challenged as someone had stated that such was the radical contrast to how Paul was suggesting Onesimus should be treated here in comparison to how society says he should have been treated. That actually, if this was the only book of the Bible God had ever revealed to us, we could still tell an awful lot about what Christianity was and how a follower of Christ is called to live. How Paul spots the pastoral need and difficult situation. How he knows how society will want Philemon to respond and thus provides gentle encouragement and thinking the way Christ calls us to respond. The huge question that poses for us, of course, is this. If this church is the only interaction a non-Christian has with a follower of Christ? Will they look at how we reconcile ourselves between each other, how we treat each other in love and also understand a lot about the Christian faith and how God wants us to live? This little letter calls for some seriously big action, for us to put things we know about how Christ calls us to live into practice. And at that point, I will close and pray for each and every one of us. And as I pray, um, I just want us to spend a moment in silence with in our own hearts and minds with Christ and just thinking about that question of reconciliation. Is there anybody God is asking to put on our hearts Is there any relationship that we need to pray for ourselves? And when I finish praying, I'm going to call the band up and they're going to play some music for us as well as we think about what it is God is asking us, what, what relationship rather God is asking us to consider. And then we'll sing together. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you have such an amazing love for us that despite our being unworthy, you opened a door of reconciliation for us through your son so that we can live a life in fellowship with you. The almighty God, the God of amazing grace, we are so grateful for what Jesus did on that cross that we may have the opportunity to live in the fullness of life with you. Lord, I lift this fellowship to you this morning. I pray for healing in hearts and the power of your spirit to aid our own reconciliations amongst us as a family, amongst loved ones past and present. Lord, we lift our relationships to your care, to your loving arms, and that power that can sustain us when we are at our absolute weakest. Lord, embrace us this morning, I pray. Let us feel your presence and power so that we may lead lives honoring in you. We pray all this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.